My name is Sharzad Kiade. I'm a Gemini pescatarian, a mom of two wild little boys. I'm Susan Yara. I'm a mom of two also. This morning, I went to the bathroom alone. I woke up at five, put my boob in her mouth, and then she took a dump. Because that's what she uses me for. <laughs> that's what you're going to hear a lot of our stories and experiences in our crazy journeys to motherhood. It's fam for all moms, not for all dads, not fathers and moms, for all moms. It's going to be a good old time. You guys are going to want to stick around. Promise. So subscribe. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I am Joe Devine and today I'm joined by Alex Stewart. Hello, Alex. Hello. He's busy looking at something. Uh, also, Alex and I had in the studio today, the studio, the office. Alex and I had in the office, come studio today, Nikos Overhaul, who works for Statsbomb as the lead technical scout. Now, what does that mean? I don't quite know, but we did ask him about it and he did explain it fairly well. Um, Statsbomb are a company that offer, what do they offer, Alex? They offer data services and <laughs> why are you smiling at Just me? having a smile. Uh-huh. Yeah. So they offer... I like to try and put Alex off when he's talking. They offer data services, data visualization, mm. the explanation thereof. They assist with recruitment mm-hmm. of players, managers. For football clubs. For football clubs. Yeah. Correct. Okay. Yes. So from Good. one to 10, they do all those things. Absolutely. All of those things. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, if you don't know what that means from our explanation, don't worry, because Nikos is going to explain it over the next hour. And also you will note that there are some questions that he can't answer uh, because uh, he's not allowed to, which are the ones that I'm really interested in. I.e., I want to know that list of coaches that the, the Statsbomb people have identified as potentially the next, uh, you know, the risks for mid-level clubs to take. I'd love to see that list. But anyway, we can't. Um, but there are other uh, interesting tidbits that come from this episode, uh, unrelated to the questions that Nikos can't answer for obvious reasons. Uh, what was your favourite bit of the episode, Alex? Um, I I was tantalised by the conversation around Pochettino and whether he would or would not have been a risk for clubs and right. how that sort of works out. And yes. Balancing taking a chance on somebody who might be cheap mm. versus a set of expectations around somebody who is provably good, but yeah. costs a lot more, that kind of thing. Well, there were answers in this episode. And hey, do you know where else you can find answers? Oh, on The Athletic. Yes. yes. Hey, look. <laughs> oh, really? I'm wearing an Athletic t-shirt because they gave it to me for free. But I mean, it is... You know, have you worn your Athletic t-shirt yet? I wore the hoodie. It, this is very comfortable. Yeah. It's quite thin, I don't know. It's quality clothing. And actually, the hoodie is quality clothing, too. And do you know what that mirrors? The quality content that they have available on their website. Editorial, of course. The Athletic, you can get a 30-day free trial uh, and 50% off an annual subscription, which works out to be eight pence per day, or about £2.50 a month, uh, by visiting theathletic.co.uk forward slash TIFO. Um, I don't know if you can get uh, merchandise on their website, but... Um, this T-shirt really is very comfortable. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I've been reading articles on the app. Have you? Yeah. Good to know. It's good. Uh, okay. Well, look, I uh, hope you enjoyed today's episode and um, we will be back next week. Bye-bye. Nikos, what's your job? My official job is the lead technical scout at Statsbomb Services. Okay. What does that mean? Lead technical scout? Yeah. Um, it basically means that um, like Statsbomb are a data company. So we sell for instance, uh, access to our data platform. We sell the data uh, itself. And we also uh, do consultancy work. And that's the side that I work on. So I work, for instance, on helping teams with their recruitment, both doing it myself and helping them reorganize their scouting department. Okay. When you say you help teams with their recruitment, how much is, I suppose it's a case by case basis, but how much involvement is there in that? Is it a case of analyzing their play and then coming up with a list of names that might fit, fit what they're looking for? That could be something uh, we've had clubs that just ask us, Hey, we're looking at player X. Um, what do you think about player X as a sort of second opinion? And it could also be uh, a project in which we temporarily like take over the recruitment uh, department to help restructure it and then uh, give it back to the club in hopefully an improved fashion. Right. How are you doing? How do you improve it? What are you doing differently to what to what they're doing? Presumably the use of data and analytics. 
That is a factor, yeah. Obviously, uh, uh, one of the, the problems that clubs have is that they want to use analytics but don't necessarily know how to go about that. Right. Um, and we, of course, have um, a lot of expertise both on the scouting side and the data side, so we're ideally positioned uh-huh. to, uh, to help integrate them. If we were to say, for example, that the what might be considered a, and correct me if I'm wrong, Alex, but a traditional form of player recruitment, we're talking decades ago, Maybe you're a big club, you've got a big scouting network, i.e. you've got one guy you've sent to Denmark and then he goes around a bit and he comes back with a list of names saying, hey, this Danish guy, he's real good. You might want him. Uh, and then they say, look at him again. Yeah, he's good and we'll have him. How, what, <laughs> how is it different now? Like, well, I appreciate that you're using analytics. The way in which I understand that we have done that before, just with video, so obviously a very, very rudimentary version of what you are doing. Alex, we've talked about this before as uh, using analytics or data as a means of narrowing down a ser- like a search parameters, narrowing down uh, a, search, a search parameter to then do a traditional form of scouting and send someone to go and look. Like, Is that an accurate representation of how you use that? Yeah, it could be, for sure. Yeah. Um, like, We would never advocate for using analytics at the expense of everything else. Right. Like, like the idea is to get as much information about a player and of, a, of as high a quality as possible about a player. So we would never advocate like ditching the scouting altogether. Uh-huh. Use analytics, for instance, to narrow down the search, or if you could use data visualizations, uh, which give you a, a, a quick overview of what a player is. Now that doesn't mean that a player is you can you can't really tell if a player is good, but you can tell if a player is bad. Right. And that already saves you a lot of time because uh, if you work in football, you get uh, like emails from agents. Hey, these are twenty players. What do you think? And like you can look at the 20, like the, uh, sort of the data visualization really quickly. Yeah. Like, okay, these 19 guys are all clearly bad, but the 20th guy maybe is interesting. And then you can look at, at video, for instance. Right. So that's another example yeah. of how you can use data. Because people listening to this podcast, they will have some idea of what we mean when we're talking. I mean, I don't have any idea, but some idea that we were talking about data and analytics. Mm-hmm. They'll be thinking of things like, past completion rate or how many uh, you know the one that they use on the on the broadcasting football quite a lot is how far the players ran today those sorts of things what are some examples of useful metrics which might appear as part of the data visualization which you offer to clubs right yeah so the, the most obvious one is expected goals that's the most famous one also okay. on match of the day will you talk us through that sure so basically um, taking into account like uh, historical data it tells you for every chance that is taken for every shot uh, the likelihood of that resulting in a goal. Okay. So that's location, whether it's a, a shot or a header, uh, the type of pass that preceded it. And one thing that's, that Statsbomb has added is also the location of nearby defenders, uh, the, the position of the goalkeeper. You take all of that into account and then you say, okay, the likelihood of that shot resulting in a goal is X. Based on the number of shots for in similar positions and similar scenarios that have been scored before. Exactly. How far does that data tend to go back? Uh, that, that depends on, on the data provider. Right. Uh, a couple of years. Like, obviously, if you um, combine a lot of seasons for one league or a whole lot of different leagues altogether, you get a pretty clear idea. Right. So, like, we cover about 40 leagues. So, okay. if, and even if you have, like, two or three seasons of that, clearly that is already right. quite a bit. So, we've got expected goals. Uh, what else do we have in the package? Uh, for instance, uh, in terms of like slightly more advanced things is um, ball progression. So how good is a player at getting the ball upfield? Because obviously, I mean, if you're going to look at just scoring chances, you know, defensive midfielders are going to rank particularly high. But if you want uh, for a midfielder that's really good at getting the ball to the attackers in dangerous positions, clearly that's something that you can measure. Okay. And how, and how do you... Because I'm thinking, you use the example of ball progression is a, is a good one, right? So what if what if the player that you're looking at is in a team that is exceptionally offensive and is far superior to other teams in the league? Then naturally, you would have thought that a player, a defensive midfielder in that team, would have a better better opportunities to have a better ball progression rate than other players of a similar standard in less good teams. Is there a way of measuring that through the, the data or do you, is that where you have to sort of step out of it slightly and, and use the more traditional? Yeah, to a degree, but again, like clearly, like everyone knows that, that is true. Right. So if that's already taken into account into the actual decision-making, as you say. And there's no, is there, there's no, presumably there's no kind of more specific way of measuring that, right? How would, how would you do that? I mean, you can, but um, we're getting into 
things that I cannot officially share in public. <laughs> oh, I see, I see. <laughs> so, so gone very secret, Squirrel, oh. all of a sudden. In terms of, I mean, actually, this, this is quite a nice lead on. A lot of this stuff is proprietary. Mm-hmm. So if I'm a football club and I've got a lot of money and I think to myself, um, I need to employ one of these various companies that provides data services and, and so on. As a club, you're effectively, and I don't, this is not pejorative to any of the companies that do this, but you're, you're being asked to take on trust the, the, the work that's gone into that because you're, you're asking a group of laymen effectively to take on board, understand, and crucially then implement processes that they have no understanding of whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So how do, you, how do you go about convincing them? Is it basically, you know, here are a series of, of case studies. These, these are guys that we recommended when they were doing this, that, and the other in League Two, and now look at them. Uh, or is there enough of a movement towards analytics in football generally that clubs are increasingly receptive to it, even as they acknowledge that they don't fully understand it? Both of things are true. Right. Um, obviously, there are many examples of from different sports as well. And you know, more and more um, owners of clubs are American, so they understand this principle very clearly. Uh, and this is actually something that, that we see, like a lot of the interest in analytics comes from the owners often. Um, is, is that because they're the ones who are most looking for margins and maybe, savings? Because yeah. I, I think for a lot of people... Because they want to be cool. Or because they want to be cool, possibly. I mean, that's not even a <laughs> they joke, want that's to be, a serious comment. Well, they want to be Brad Pitt on the bike machine, don't they? I want to be Brad Pitt on the bike machine. But but this, I, I think this is a, a reasonable point. I think for a lot of people, the idea of stats in sports is so framed through Moneyball, both as a book or film and also as a term. But actually, Moneyball is very specifically about using certain metrics that other people haven't understood the value of mm-hmm. to recruit players for less than the market rate. Yeah. And actually the use of data in sports is significantly wider than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I think it's, it's interesting to kind of get a sense of just how broad that goes. So for example, w- what else would, would say, for example, Statsbomb, what else would Statsbomb be able to help with beyond player recruitment? managerial recruitment for instance Um, because a lot of uh, clubs try to recruit managers based on style Um, and a style is something you can measure very easily like the the actual impact of a manager in terms of like is he good or not that's slightly more tricky this is going to be a stupid question but we say say it's it's easy to measure a style yeah can you just sort of explain explain to us how okay um, tell me how Nikos okay so basically um, what we find is that Clubs are looking for managers who play, who have a particular playing style. That could be, I don't know, uh, vertical football, for instance. You want like a Bielsa type uh, uh, style of play. Okay, so then you can see. Okay, does do the ma- do the teams that this manager has coached uh, play that type of passing? Mm-hmm. Very simple example. Um, we don't want crosses, for instance. So do this do this this guy's teams re- historically cross the ball a lot. That's a very clear, very okay. simple example. Yeah. So things like that. Okay. Um, and obviously, like one of the advantages is that um, particularly smaller clubs, clearly you know, they don't have the knowledge of the like the world market in that aspect. Uh, like if, if there's a really good manager in, I don't know, Australia, let's say, like most p- teams aren't going to be aware of that guy. But if you use data to filter based on these stylistic elements, then you could find a guy like that and you know, start looking uh, as team a little bit more. Maybe this is interesting. Maybe this is right. something worth looking at. Because that, so that's narrowing the search parameters. Exactly. Again, which, which, may, which I, yeah, I understand the use of that. Are you saying that? Say, for example, I showed you. You could choose the metrics, let's say, of uh, things including like how many crosses sure. a team makes, uh, how many passes, what types of directional passes, that sort of thing. Would would you sort of to within a kind of reasonable. Uh, degree be able to hazard a guess at the type of football that was being played just by seeing the metrics without actually seeing the football. Yeah. Well, you would be able to say if I, I mean I'm trying to think of a less obvious example than Tiki Taka for example. I mean, if actually, I were to show you the stats for Tiki Taka, you'd be able to tell me what sort of football that was without actually watching the team play. 
Uh, okay, so I'll give you another example uh, that's maybe slightly less obvious. Yes, um, please do. So that was a terrible there's example. Uh, Marcelino, uh, ex-coach of Villarreal, uh, Valencia, uh-huh. recently fired. Um, so his teams are f- like famous for being very strictly organized in a four-four-two, like middle block. Uh-huh. Uh, and his teams are demonstrably very good at denying the opposition midfield penetration. Right. Um, and you know, I, um, that shows up very clearly in the metrics. So. Yeah, because his teams are uh, you know, close down the middle, the opposition uh, shots are taken from the furthest distance in the league, which is, makes sense because if, right. if you don't progress the ball, at some point you're just going to shoot. Yeah. Uh, so that's one thing. Uh, they don't necessarily press. They have the lowest uh, pressing numbers in terms of uh, allowing passes, right. which again makes sense because they just focus on shutting things down. They mm-hmm. don't necessarily aim to win the ball. Um, that's one thing. Uh, opposition pass accuracy is the highest in the league, again. Right. So all of that checks out. Okay. So you're saying that at the Stats Bomb Christmas quiz, <laughs> one of the questions is, uh, examine these metrics and tell me who the manager is. Uh, that might be a good idea. I might, have to, I might have to pitch that. This is why you need to talk to people who don't understand yeah. it more often. Yeah, that's very good. So <laughs> let's, let's, let's take an example of, of a, a manager in, <clears throat> say, the A-League, for example. It seems to me that that although, as you said, you know, increasingly there are, for a start, more Americans involved in sports ownership, and also the the use and the acceptance of the use of data is proliferating. But you have all of this stuff, and you can help make informed decisions. Mm-hmm. How do you convince people that that's worth doing? How do you with with football being? an industry that seems particularly predicated on making decisions based on, you know, who they used to play with in a team or someone being famous or whatever it is. The you old know, boys club. Right. It, it, it's an industry that, that is notoriously bad at making good decisions or was. So how do you go about saying, here's this guy, you've never heard of him and you don't really understand this information that I'm presenting you with but trust us, it's and, good. And it's, crucially, he doesn't speak English very well, maybe, as a good example, because many of Possibly. these coaches, let's say it was a coach, a coach yeah. coming from outside of the UK, whose English might be not brilliant, yeah. that, that presumably also puts off traditional kind of English owners. And from how, how, would you, how would you convince somebody in the Premier League to take a punt on Marcelino? Uh, well, I mean, I don't think that is going to be a particularly difficult one, but no, I'll, okay. I'll, I'll go back to you, to your example. Okay, so basically, the one of the issues that um, smaller clubs in the in the Premier League have as well is that they cannot compete with the bigger teams. So uh, what that means in terms of managers, like Southampton, your your club, uh, they cannot hire a manager that is world class, and that everyone knows is world class. God, important that's... point. That everyone knows is world class because okay. it, if he's really good and everyone knows he's really good, yeah. he's going to go to Man City. Yeah. So the only way that they can get uh, a world class coach before they blossom is if they take risks. Mm-hmm. Pochettino is a really good example of that. Yeah, absolutely. There was a lot of uncertainty about him, particularly in the media, about how good he was going to be in the Premier League, mm-hmm. and that is the only way that you can get a world class manager mm-hmm. is if you take on extra risk. Yeah. And that is an example of that. That's interesting. Do you, do you know anything about the hiring of Pochettino? No. No? But presumably, based on the personnel involved, they they used some analytics, right? They didn't just uh, well, spot him in the crowd. Yeah, Southampton certainly was quite progressive in that regard in terms of using... I mean, they were one of the first clubs, as far as I know, to start using... Uh, analytics even at academy level and and I think Les Reed drove that forward quite a lot I'm looking at you in case you're going to nod but you're just going to be he's going to have a blank stare that's fine but I mean what I find interesting about Southampton for an example is Pochettino is exactly what you're describing so he was a, a manager who showed signs that he could be superb and there was a bit of a chance element in there but then the hires that came after that Kerman was probably more reputational. Puel was an odd choice. Pellegrino was an odd choice. You know, it kind of... I forgot you had so many. Right, yeah, I know. And then Hughes coming in as a as a kind of thing at the end of Pellegrino's run. So that, to me, even with a club like Southampton, which is actually pretty sensible, it, it seems like there's just a splurge of different styles, different approaches. Mm-hmm. What's going on? Why are football clubs so chaotic in their decision-making? 
is my basic question. I don't know. And and how have Southampton then stumbled across a manager who, okay, we haven't started great, but, you know, I think he's very good. I think he knows what he's doing. Um, I think one of the things that you do have to take into account when I say that uh, Pochettino was a risk, uh, the risk is that he's not actually good. And that could be the case for, I'm not not saying that that was the case for Southampton. Uh, but obviously, like the risk is that you hire a guy that's not actually good, but that is something that you have to take into account. You can also go the opposite way that if you hire a guy that you that you know the level of, but it's not necessarily going to be world class. That is an entirely legitimate choice. Right. But you know that, that you're not going to get a world class manager. Steve so, Bruce. Yeah, for instance, well, not, pair of hands maybe. Like, like, no, like in in the championship. Yeah. Steve Bruce is demonstrably really good. Yeah. Um, and someone like Roy Hodgson is a perfectly serviceable Premier League manager. Yeah. I guess an entirely legitimate choice to hire someone like that. Uh-huh. So if you're if you're a club, and we, we've talked on the podcast a lot previously about Manchester United because they're, they're a really good example of what seems to be quite chaotic behind the scenes stuff. There's, there's clearly a kind of commercial imperative to do certain things, the footballing side. I don't know. If you're if you're taking if you're starting to work with a club and you've got pretty much a clean slate, whatever the club is, it doesn't matter. Are you looking to establish a style and then hire a manager? Are you looking at what the playing staff already is and therefore what stylistically they might be able to play without too many additions and then getting a manager to fit with that? Are you like what's the process of if if you were given a, a clean slate? with the club how would you how would you go about building that um the first question that i would ask is to the owner uh is what is your objective because obviously that is the most important like if you're perfectly happy to just be a mid-table premier league team which is again a completely legitimate choice that changes what we're going to do uh compared to if you're i don't know if you want to reach the champions league if you want to take the risk uh to get into the champions league Okay, then we're going to do different things. Um, we're going to do a different style of play. We're going to take on more risk in terms of managerial appointment, uh, player recruitment, can style we, of can play. Can we do this as a hypothetical? Maybe not, but let's say, for example, that I am uh, one of the, what are, they, what are they called, Sullivan and who? You know, the West Ham guys. Gold. The, the, one of the Davids, one of the owners of West Ham. And I come to you, Nikos, and I say, my objective is to get into the Champions League in... Uh, seven years time what do you how do you help me okay so um first of all what do you want to know okay how much money is there available mm-hmm. um there is there is uh, <laughs> four or five pounds are available for now no that's a good that's a good point okay no, because, i'm trying again, to think like, what west ham would have available presumably more than they did a few years ago but uh, a fairly healthy budget for for amongst mid-table clubs you would have thought yes i mean i think uh west ham are in a really good spot yeah good manager clearly yeah um and that is also a really good example. Like I think maybe Pellegr- uh, Pellegrini is a guy that's demonstrably really good, um, but was sort of has sort of fallen out of favor because he was in China. Yeah. So that is also a way that you can sort of take on a little bit more risk. So right. is, is this guy still good? Maybe. So we hire him. Also, partly maybe because of how the ce- the the ce- or the expected ceiling was so high at Manchester City, and he seemed to not be able to reach what their expectations were. Maybe that kind of uh, tainted him slightly as well, even though that doesn't, wouldn't make any sense for that to be the case. How did, I, I mean, Pellegrini went to, to China, but did he, did he go to, I mean, how does, does a manager become bad? I know that might sound like a ridiculous question, but you have, it seems to me that actually managers, they might get better but once you've acquired skills in training and communication and experience of different leagues and you know shown adaptability with different players, it, it doesn't seem like there's necessarily a reason to fall off massively. Maybe not in absolute terms, but in relative terms. Right, because so it's if, other, other people get better. Yeah. Right. Um, but again, like as a general principle, uh, in terms of like how you would go about like forming a strategy based on certain objectives. It's, okay, so uh, what is our situation now? We have these players. Uh, we have a somewhat decent academy. Uh, not not amazing, but good enough. Um, okay, so taking those things into account, we have this amount of money. Then we're going to play this and this style of play. 
so that's how you go about that. And let's say, I don't know, Pellegrini leaves at some point. Then again, based on this style of play that we want to do, based on, on these objective, we're going to do this and this and this. I would also say to any owner, like if you want to take risks, you got to be prepared for the possibility that it's going to go wrong. Mm -hmm. That is something, and that is, I think, something that people are not always com comfortable with. And is this what, like, you know, as an example, Statsbomb might offer all of that to a club over a long period of time? Yeah. Because that sounds like you're sort of running the club. Like, that, well, maybe that's a simplistic way of looking at it, but those things that you just said are the things that I associate with the top-line decisions that are made by an executive at a football club over a period of five years that affect every single outcome. True. I mean, yeah, like, at, club, at that it? point, obviously, like, if we're talking about a scenario like this, yeah. you're basically an executive consultancy. Yeah. You're basically like you're an advisory uh, organ right. for the highest levels of the club. Yeah, okay. How long has how long has Statsbomb been in existence offering these sorts of services? Um, like I'm not not even saying that that's, this is necessarily what we do all the time. No, no, no. no but, okay, so, so the, the point of my question is to say, for a long time, this was not the way that football tended to think, demonstrably. And what I'm wondering is whether... Football evolved, and so certain companies sprung up in order to meet the requirements of that evolution, or whether those companies sprung up because people started doing data, people started collecting it, people were doing interesting things with it on the internet, and then football clubs went, oh, actually, because it worked in a few instances and US sports was making it more popular, they then started to take on these companies that were already starting to do this sort of thing in an unformed way. What was the, do you, are you aware what the genesis of that was, which way around it went? Uh, not really. No, I wasn't uh, with Salzburg at the start. Uh, I think there, there was some, at least from Ted Knudsen, who's the uh, founder and CEO, some relative unhappiness with the level of data provided, which is why we collect our own data now. Um, and you know, like we, we used to be at Brentford FC and FC Mitchelland uh, and have also worked for uh, other clubs as consultants. Like it's clear that there's a market for that. We do believe in, the, in this stuff very clearly. Um, and I think what is happening that there are more and more examples of clubs uh, achieving relative levels of success. Liverpool are a very good example of that. Of course, famously have Michael Edwards as their director of football who has some sort of data background. Um, and I think that can only help in terms of um, proselytizing this this aspect, what is it that Liverpool are doing that sets them apart from other Premier League clubs? Because we hear we hear this a lot, but I don't really understand the details of it. It's air conditioned rooms. Oh, I see. Yeah, I see. Okay. it does help me in here. There was a Daily Mail article. You must remember this. When yeah, I do. They're, they're, they're basically, when they when Liverpool formed the transfer committee, mm -hmm. headed by Edwards and with other people, and there was this scathing article in the Daily Mail about how these prissy number boys were coming in and ruining proper football for proper football men. Yeah. A scathing article in the Daily Mail that doesn't make any sense. I, right, I don't understand I what you mean. Yeah, by the medium of uh, air-conditioned rooms and cappuccinos. Yes, <laughs> and th this was supposed to herald the, the end of football as we know it. Uh, and the phrase proper football men was actually used okay. in the article. Yeah. No, right. as, a, as a sort of... Um, like obviously, I have no actual insight into no, uh, sure, Liverpool's yeah. uh, operations. Um, but what they appear to be doing really well, better than most teams, is that, um, like I said, the, the, the use of analytics is very much integrated into their decision-making process. And that's what actually matters. Like You can have uh, analysts that are the best in the world if the director of football is unwilling or unable to take uh, his insights uh, on board and actually use them in his decision-making process, uh -huh. you're not actually going to achieve anything. And Liverpool, from what I can see from the outside, are probably the best in that aspect. It's integrated. Yeah. This is an advert. This episode is sponsored by The Athletic, uh, the best place to read about football online. Do visit theathletic.co.uk forward slash TIFO. 30-day free trial, 50% off an annual uh, subscription, £2.50 per month, 8 pence per day. Excellent quality stuff, as per example, Alex. Oh, Carl Anker has done a piece on Southampton. Mm. Um, the infamous Carl Anker. Is he infamous? I just said so to try and make him sound more mysterious. Oh, okay, right. Relevant to what we were talking about today, um, oh. it's about That's the handy. players who are currently at Southampton who could form the spine of the club going forwards for the next sort of 
five years. It also has a look at some of the youth players, people who are currently on loan. And it's the kind of jumping off point to then maybe fill in the blanks around that set of players for who you might look to recruit and why. To read more of Karl Anker's stuff and or all of the other things that they have available on The Athletic, do visit theathletic.co.uk forward slash TIFO. 50-day, 30-day free trial, 30-day, 50% off an annual subscription. Um, but that's not all. Because also today, we are supported kindly by... Beer 52. Mm-hmm. Beer 52, yes. Oh, yes, Daddy. Right. So, how does the offer of free beer sound to you, Joe? It sounds delightful. And you know what? Not only does it sound delightful, it is delightful. So while you're tasting that, I'm going to read some things out. And it says, as a loyal listener of the show, or indeed a viewer of mm-hmm. the show, given yes. that we also, you can have some free beer from Beer 52. That's beer as a word and then 52 as 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 a number dot com uh all you need to do is go to beer52.com forward slash tifo and cover 495 for postage um so that's great also if you do it you'll get two extra free beers that's 10 free beers they'll be very pretty so even if you don't drink them you could just arrange them I don't know, on like a, a lintel or It does make me want to be one of those piece. people that has, you know, this sort of stereotypical um, college student who has a pyramid made of uh, beer cans. But the, I mean, look at this, California hey. Sun. Beer 52 are beer pioneers. They traverse the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the greatest small batch breweries planet Earth has to offer. Look at that one. Um, that come in jazzy packaging. Um, beer 52 are a UK company, independent, and they support the UK craft beer scene, uh, so that's good. Also, you can just leave them at any time. Look at that one. Not that you'll want to, because it's the, like honestly, the Tate Modern in here now. They really are beautiful. Um, I almost don't want to drink them so that I can keep the cans you know, like okay. fresh and, and full. The first <laughs> box of beer that you will be sent will be sent to you next day, and it will contain beer from all over Europe. Hoppy IP... I don't understand what these words mean. Don't worry, they're just some of the brands that have the beer. Hoppy IPAs, Hazy Pale Ales, mm. Refreshing Lager. Oh, I understand that. Where do they go to get the beer? Everywhere. No, no, no. But how do they get? The, how do they claim this delightful offer? I've told you that already. I know, they, but tell us again. They travel the. They traverse the globe. No, not them. How what? do our listeners claim oh. the offer? Oh, right. Okay. I don't care. Where they <laughs> I told you that as well. Go to beer52.com forward slash tifo. Oh. Do do that, please, because uh, it is actually. I mean, yeah, for any beer drinking people out there, I like to say for the last one, if you're having a party or something, what a lovely way to get a delightful variety of beer. Mm. Watching the football over the weekend. You want to, you know, you're with some friends. You want to, you know, you want to try something new, a little bit of craft beer, and you're not sure what you like because, let's be honest, it's an impenetrable marketplace. So many different types of brands. Oh, these are delightful. You see, you do this so much better than I do, and instead you make me do that while you drink the beer, and I have to. It's more funny for me. Uh, anyway, back to <laughs> Nikos Overhaul. Thank you. So more than anything, it's about acceptance because I, I'm guessing that. Obviously, like I said, you know, there's there's proprietary stuff. There are going to be some companies that are better or calculate XG in a more sophisticated manner or who develop a new metric, which is particularly interesting and relevant. And it's really difficult if I'm talking to him. I can't. I know. I know. Um, but there is going to be, by and large, you know, the, the same sort of data is collected, the same sort of, you know, the, things will be run in the same kind of way. So the the advantage that a club will have is the degree to which they trust that information and decide to make use of it. Yeah, and the degree to which they are able um, to adequately evaluate it and use it, uh, for example, in terms of like player recruitment, to take the analytics and then combine them in the, in the best way with um, like video scouting, live scouting, background reports, all that stuff. So it's all about like collecting information of all sorts and then using that to make the best possible decisions. Do you have a sort of list of uh, coaches around the world who are an example of, like the Pochettino example you used before, who are maybe good or maybe not, but but might be uh, on the app? Yeah. Will you give it to me? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let, me, let me rephrase that. 
if you pay me. Can we pay you no, personally no, rather than post I mean, funny, that is, that is literally one of the, the services that we really? provide. Yeah, manager just, or recruitment, yeah. Yeah, okay. So hmm. I'm just trying to think of a way around that. What about like one, have you mentioned anyone in publicly before that you could mention here as another, as another example, as a, a sort of young, young or unrecognized coach from, or, from or Europe? To put How it much does it cost? To I've put got it some another way. money in my wallet. I could, 20 pounds? Can I get one name for 20 I su- pounds? I suspect that I might get fired if I do that, so no. <laughs> would, would somebody we'll like, if, if, if you look at someone like, I don't know, Nagelsmann, for example, mm-hmm. would Nagelsmann have been showing up in these sorts of lists two or three years ago, to, to what degree That's are That's a good there... way of doing it. Nagelsmann, as an example, in the list you're talking about, does he feature now as someone... Is he, in terms of media, is he prominent enough to not be undiscovered and unknown? Or is he? would he still come up maybe on those sorts of uh, lists hypothetically? Uh, yeah, for, for again, Premier League depending clubs. on, on uh, what um, what those, those clubs are looking for. Like, clearly you're not going to leave the most obvious candidates off because yeah, okay. they're still really good candidates. They're still there. Yeah. Right, okay. How much do you think he would cost nowadays, Nagelsmann? Let's say he does well at uh, Leipzig this season and a Premier League because I'd love to see him in the Premier League. That Premier League club is interested next year. What From where you sit, where do you rate him in terms of the kind of uh, the variety of the range of, of managers? I mean, he's demonstrably Champions League level. Right. Clearly. Um, so, I mean, that, that already pushes him into the upper echelon. Is that a kind of tiering system for you? You said that a couple of times, like championship or, or Premier League level, Champions League level. Do you tier managers in that way? Or is it just a useful way of communicating? So, yeah, yeah, that's a way to communicate. Like, right. okay, um, this would be like, because of the question you asked, like, yeah. um, would this guy be relevant for Club X? Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're not going to put him for a League One team because you know that he can get there, that they can get him. So, right, okay. but for, for like a team that has the, the budget uh, and sort of the appeal uh, to get a guy like that, yeah, clearly you're still... Put them on. What about if you've got a League One manager who everything that you look at is, you know, the, the, the style is really effective. He's maximizing minimal resources. He's playing attractive football. He takes all of the boxes to make a significant step up at some point. What's a kind of a reasonable step? Are you, I mean, I'm not saying you personally, but is it ever likely that, that somebody is going to jump from a League One job to the Premier League? Or are there intangibles in terms of experience, in terms of respect, in terms of exposure to working with certain kinds of players that that mean that sort of step change just doesn't happen, even if every other box is ticked? I mean, that would have to be a club that's very, very comfortable with taking on risk. Uh, I think maybe if a, a club is really doesn't have uh, any kind of money, which in the Premier League is unlikely, uh, then you could consider that. But again, like I, personally, I would, that's a level that I would be uncomfortable with already. But one of the things that, uh, that we did do like, a couple of years ago was uh, recommend uh, Jesse Marsh to a championship team mm. when he was in um, near Red Bulls. That was about four years ago, I think. And he's now at Red Bull Salzburg, obviously doing really well. Uh, I think that that was, that was a really good example of like, okay, this guy clearly got something special. Also, in terms of background, uh, like able to adjust his entire playing style based on advice given by Ralf Rangnick, who runs the entire Red Bull sporting program or football program. So those are, again, like that's not necessarily a data thing, but that is additional information that... that sort of shows that this is a guy that's able to take on board new information and actually use it in, in terms of changing and improving his, his team. Mm. So that's re- a really impressive thing. What about someone like um, Farker, um, who is obviously doing interesting things at Norwich and got them promoted with great style and, and has you know done great reasonably. Group. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and well, I mean, Norwich is a very smart club generally, I think, but in terms of coming from, as he did, basically Borussia Dortmund's reserve team. I, mean, I know the, the, the system is structured slightly differently there, so the reserves play in a league, but do you, is there available data on those guys or are you then looking at other things like he's come out of a Dortmund school that has also produced other good coaches? He's worked with Zork, who's really, really smart. These are the things that go into making those decisions. 
those things would definitely go into uh, making that decision, even if you do have data. Uh, we do not actually cover those particular leaks. Um, but again, like we, we also do recommend like managers on which we do not have data if we have belief that these managers will be qualified for that particular role. Again, obviously because we have less information, um, that would be more risk. But again, like that, that's fine if teams are comfortable doing that. Would you say it's fair that uh, Statsbomb probably has a great, or Statsbomb or companies like it, we should say, have a greater appeal to clubs who maybe, you know, leaving the owners or their wishes aside, have less money to have these sorts of services in-house? I mean, is it, we've mentioned Liverpool already as, as an example, but are there clubs who have the resources and the employees and the ability to do what you're doing already in-house? Uh, well, there are definitely teams that could do that. Right. Um, and again, like this is something uh, that you see in, in baseball as well. Like Alex mentioned Moneyball with Billy Bean, who did that under like uh, like fin financial constraints. Yeah. Like one of the relatively poor teams in, in the MLB. Uh, but the more interesting question is what happens if rich teams start doing the same thing? Yeah. And then you get the Boston Red Sox with Theo Epstein, who won the World Series using the same techniques. Yeah. Uh, but obviously, like, teams that have a financial disadvantage or any kind of disadvantage are more likely to take on alternative methods because they need to make up the gap somehow. How many people do you need? Let's say, for example, um, trying to think of it, what's a, what's a good uh, championship club? You know, the, the Millwall. Millwall's a good example, right? Or Millwall, or I'm trying to think of a team that maybe isn't getting promoted or isn't being relegated. Actually, Millwall aren't doing that well, are they? Uh, who's in the middle, Alex? I'm looking at you. <laughs> of the championship. Who's in the middle currently. of the championship who hasn't been... Uh, one of the... Um, I mean, uh, uh, like... Nottingham Forest. Good example. Nottingham Forest, right? Then, chaotically run. Bad example. Okay, but forget... This is, let's just imagine... I'm talking about a club purely at the level where they haven't been promoted for a long time. They're not really in risk of, of being relegated. Forget about the ownership. Remove all yeah. of that. Let's say they had new owners. Random Club X in Random the middle Club of the X. Yeah. That's okay. the better way of saying yeah. it, isn't it? Yeah. Nikos is here. Thank God for that. Uh, random club X in the middle of the championship. They haven't got very much money. Uh, they have enough money to compete to be where they are. How much? How many employees do you need to do what what Statsbomb could offer? So if they wanted to build that in house, can you have four guys and four computers well, clearly, and achieve the same clearly, thing? Clearly, clearly, I would never advocate doing it in house, and they should right. always come to us. <laughs> of course, clearly. of course. But that aside, yeah, how uh, many people? Like, how big is your operation? How many people do you actually need? Could they just hire one one Nikos and 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 do that? Well, no, because I'm not a statistician or okay, data analyst, okay, so sure. don't hire me for that particular job. Right. Hire me for other jobs. Okay. Yes. Uh, no, but um, like we we have a, a data collection company that we we bought, right. and that's a hundred people. Okay. Uh, so they can still buy our data. Right. Uh, and then. And not subscribe to the platform or something that is possible. Because presumably clubs would do, do that anyway, right? They buy the data in. Yeah. But I'm then, talking specifically about the people who interpret that for them and use that to help run the club. How right, many of okay. those people do you Yeah, think? so that, um, um, not that many, I would say. Like, yeah, okay. like, for, like this, obviously, this is the, the product that we sell the most, like access to our data platform yeah. on which we have visualizations, metrics that are deliberately designed for the situation that you're describing. Right, yeah. Uh, like designed for ease of interpretation. Um, I don't, you don't, don't really need that many. Right. Yeah. Uh, again, like th this all depends on whether there's um, buy-in from the director of football. Right. Um, I mean, one or two should be. Because I mean, Brentford is the kind of you know exciting example of a lower league club attempting to attempting to do that, right? I mean, and uh, I don't really know that much about Brentford, but in the discussions that we've had on this podcast regarding Brentford before, what I do know is that the recruitment policy uh, was very successful, and they made quite a lot of money selling players on. Are there, are there other successes to be associated with Brentford as well? How, how did that whole project? What was it? Tell me about that. Um, well, I was in Brentford um, in. 1516. Um, and again, like, uh, there's obviously a marketing element to that, which is not a critique, that's just fine. Yes. Because again, like, um, there are not a lot of people that know Brentford. So to really um, go heavily into that, not even just from an, like, an, uh, a policy standpoint, but also from a marketing, I think is very smart. Because mm -hmm. again, like, that is now the team along with Sister Club, FC Mitchelland, that is most strongly associated with that. 
Yes. Um, but again, like basically they did what we were describing, like using data um, and integrating that with uh, with player like live player scouting, video scouting, background reports. Mm-hmm. So that that is a really good example, I think, of of a club that did it. The how way that how successful was it as a project? I mean, again, not to like give a non-answer, but that depends on how you measure success. Uh, what were their objectives at the beginning? Uh, like basically, uh, and again, this is this is broadly speaking, I think still their objective is to be roughly in the playoff race. Right. Like that, I think is a reasonable expectation concerning the budget. Like Brentford have one of the lowest budgets in the league. Yeah. Um, and then and then you, if you get there like regularly, sometimes you will get lucky and make the playoffs. And that's basically, uh, broadly speaking, the goal. Right. And I think that that's what's happened basically ever since they got promoted. Yeah. Uh, just do pretty well uh, basically every single year. Could one of their objectives be, or could a club's objective be, um, I want to hire Nikos and Statsbomb to scout the best players for me, to bring them in and then sell them on a year later at, at, a, at a much higher premium? That's not the objective. That is uh, a way to achieve an objective. Right, okay. Because that is one of the ways um, in which you can make up the financial disadvantage. Right. Like if you have no, if you have very low revenue, like Brentford do, then you can make that financial gap up a little bit by player sales, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like obviously if that's the strategy you're going with, that changes how you go about things. Mm-hmm. That changes the playing style as well, because you're probably going to play more attacking football because mm. you're going to score more goals, which increases the value of your strikers. Mm. Um, and those are the most expensive players. So that's good. Um, yeah. So again, like that is a particular strategy that you could follow. And that is obviously uh, one that Brentford do follow. Can I ask you uh, another stupid question? Uh, you know, it's very exciting when you play football manager or maybe even FIFA for the younger listeners. Uh, who want to take a, a you know a club from the bottom to the top, the traditional sort of uh, the rocky thing? Uh, can you see a club in within the sort of English uh, pyramid sphere that you would uh, be excited about? You know, being the f- director of football of for the next five years to see how, or the next ten years, let's say, to see how high you can get them. Is there? Do you have any clubs in mind like that that might be prime for um, you know? A rocket up the leagues. Not even particular clubs, but obviously that is uh, uh, the end goal at some point. Doing mm. that because again, like uh, this goes back to what I mentioned like earlier. Like the only thing that matters is the the uh, buy-in from mm. the directors of football. I mean, yeah. there's no greater buy-in than if you are that person yourself. Right. Clearly. So I mean, obviously there are a lot of teams in England that maybe underperform relative to budget, and it's obviously really interesting to. Who are they? I can't speak to that. Oh, okay. They might be customers. I like, I like getting to the point where I ask Nikos a question that he can't answer. I'm, <laughs> I'm just going to keep trying did, to did do that. He bats them away so professionally. Mm. I mean, in, in uh, mentioned Theo Epstein, Billy Bean, and, and also, you know, in other American sports now, when people are certainly looking for GMs or senior figures within the leadership group of sports companies, they're increasingly finding people who, even if they don't have a background in data science, have an understanding of it because there is such an importance. Has there been a shift in football, English football, European football towards that? Or are directors of football still kind of more of the old school and it's the one or two outliers like Edwards um, or Weber who are, you know, smart and have moved with the times? I, once it, one, I would disagree with the idea that if you're not on board with analytics, you're not smart. Uh, I don't think that's true. Okay. That would be I think, an unfair uh, classification. Uh, I think as a general principle, it's still largely true um, that like directors of football have a more traditional background. There are, as you mentioned, exceptions, but I think it's quite likely that that change will occur over the coming years. But presumably on the basis of the demonstration of success. Yes. Because people aren't going to start changing the status quo unless they can see value in it. And that value presumably will come as a financial value. Because the, the, the if, if I'm a club owner, the easiest thing to convince me of is we can achieve this objective, whatever the objective is, by spending less money than anyone else and potentially by earning 
more money than most by being smart or, or turning more profit on that basis. Mm-hmm. That's what it all comes down to, yep. doesn't it, really? Yep. Yeah. Is Liverpool not already a really good example of demonstrating success in that regard then? Yep, I would say so. Yeah. How much more success do you need? As well. like, how, you know, what, what do you think, where's the watermark for this? Like, For Liverpool, probably a league title. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, think, I think what Joe means no, is... No, but that's a good point. Like maybe at the end of the season, that is then a demonstration to other clubs, other owners of the success yeah, no, of this. But there's, there's a ceiling, isn't there? I mean, it, it's, it's unlikely that Liverpool will win the league title because... Is it? Well... I mean, they're like 50 points ahead already. They uh, haven't dropped a point yet. Yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure they are like the absolute maximum favourites to win the league this year. Really? And Man City don't I mean, even look pretty e- off the pace. What do you think? Liverpool are currently um, front runners to win the league. I mean, they're based like, on the betting markets. They're eight points ahead, I think, already. Aren't there? Is it, it might even be ten now. Yeah, that's never happened before. No, it's a stunning lead. Um, they, they, you, you remember that this happened last year as well, right? Did it? Yeah. No. I mean, that's sort of my point. I don't like to. <laughs> the thing, I live in a different world to you guys. I want to exist now and I want to, okay. I want to be Just uh, end, end the Premier League no, now. No, but again, like, um, um, just to, to, to answer your question adequately, um, the, the thing is also that, obviously, it's not just analytics. They have Jurgen Klopp, who's obviously really, really good. Mm. I mean, uh, and you know, all of these factors you know, combine to make Liverpool a really good team. Yeah. Um, and I think, it, it, I mean, again, like, there are, starting to be like smaller examples of teams that do really well uh, and uh, I think more and more like there are like owners of clubs who who contact us like oh we're we're interested in doing the money ball thing for instance uh, but we don't know what that would mean in football or how to go about that do you, you hear that us? a lot in terms of the language like when people come to, to sometimes do you hear people saying money ball specifically yeah yeah that is still the go-to reference which it's, is fine it's I good mean. for business presumably sure yeah. yeah thank you Brad Pitt yes yeah would you like to say that on the podcast just for no. record no no <laughs> and, and everyone forget people forget Michael Lewis who wrote the original yeah we know but Brad yeah. Pitt obviously we don't care yeah. about Michael Lewis okay not interested uh, he's a very good writer yeah it, he, he's very cool <laughs> I mean, uh, say Liverpool, for example, and, and I think I think what Joe was getting at more was what degree of success by a club that is associated with this style of recruitment and coaching and so on is required before everyone else wakes up to it. When's the tipping point? I mean, yeah, that is, but it's, that is an impossible question to answer. Sure, but well, it, it's a TIFO speciality. The, <laughs> the thing is that there are, you know, if you look at, at European, the, so the top five European leagues now, Liverpool are extremely wealthy. City have dominated otherwise. Then you've got Juventus who, okay, Inter are pushing them this season, but they managed to beat Inter at home. PSG, Bayern Munich. You know, there are there are clubs who have shown that, that success is... I mean, those are probably smart clubs as well in some regard, some of them. Look at that stony face. He never gives anything away. Um, but they're also, you know, they are the most financially dominant clubs in that league. They can buy, you know, if you look at Bayern Munich, they can just buy anyone in Germany they like yep. pretty much. So that that sort of, to me, that indicates that actually the, the tipping, my guess would be the tipping point is almost more when the middle ranking clubs start seeing it as the way to possibly nudge against the top six or the top four. When the four. status quo is unbalanced. When... when if Leicester do, I think Leicester have got pretty good recruitment, right? We'd agree on that. Historically, yeah, the last couple of years for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, mate, you know, if I would, I would think, and I stand to be corrected on this, that more of a tipping point would be if Leicester get into the top six, and some of those players who've recently been recruited are the difference in that regard, rather than Liverpool winning the title, because I think winning the title is so out of reach for most people. And so many of the clubs that do regularly win titles almost don't need this stuff, even if they do have it. I don't it. know. I mean, I take, I absolutely take the point, but just take the, a slightly different perspective. Three, four years ago, uh, we might not have laughed out loud talking about Liverpool winning the title, but the speed with which they have become one of the best two clubs in the country is pretty phenomenal to the point where, you know, it's almost forgotten where they were for the last 15, 20 years. I mean, they were kind. Cu- they were kind of a joke. They were kind of an add-on to the to the top four, you know. Mm. 
And now all of a sudden, I mean, it, it feels like it's happened very, very quickly. I guess pretty much just under the Jurgen Klopp reign, right? Uh, yeah, other um, other owners. Rogers finished second as Rogers, well. Okay. So. Oh, of course, that's true. Yeah. Yes, maybe I'm forgetting the trends again. But you take the point. Like they yeah, kind yeah, of, I mean, you know, all of a sudden they've consolidated in a way that they yeah. never they never did under under Brendan Rogers, uh, and presumably, how 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 can we evaluate how much of that is down to? an approach which includes more reliance on analytics you can't you can't you, not from the outside yeah um how do we get but in you can there? say you can say someone like Firmino for example mm-hmm. almost certainly was signed as a result of a more analyticsy approach he was famously um identified with Michael Edwards yes right. rather than Rodgers so so that that would be i mean he has been a central you can't necessarily say that if they hadn't got Firmino, they wouldn't have won the Champions League, or if they got someone else, it might have been different. But but there are there are certainly players that you can point to. You could probably say that about Mo Salah. Yeah, I don't know if Mo Salah was that kind of target. But then he wasn't. Not. He wasn't the Mo Salah we know him as now. Before he joined Liverpool, I mean, there were there were sort of signs that he could be that kind of player when he was at Roma. Obviously, how many but, signs do you need? Yeah, how many signs do you need? That depends on on who you're asking. I mean, obviously, I'm already on board with this, so I'm the, exactly the wrong person to ask. But um, uh, I hate how this guy answers questions. <laughs> it's really good, though. <laughs> no, but um, uh, again, always like, with another question. This is um, this is a question for owners. Like, mm. uh, and as a more general question, is okay if you have a financial disadvantage compared to your rivals for whatever objective you're trying to achieve. How are you going to make up that gap? Analytics is one. Um, playing style is one. Uh, but you do need to make up that gap somehow or accept mediocrity, which again is also fine if that's your objective. Um, and I think if you think about things like that. <laughs> I just imagine your objective being, yes, we, we want mediocrity. I mean, no, one, no one will <laughs> say that. But I mean, obviously they'll, they'll phrase it differently. Yeah. Like, mid-table um, security. Mid-table security uh, while cutting costs. Yeah. Like, I'm a, which is fine. But yeah. Is it? Feels like that's not fine to supporters, doesn't yes, it? Yes. To supporters, that's not ideal. So there's another thing there, isn't there? Let's, you know, mid table clubs saying that let's spend less money and stay where we are. That's presumably the opposite of um, what football once was. Maybe. I, Prior I, to it being a business in the same way that it is now, that never would have been the case before, would it? Before there was money at stake, you would never have a mid table club that decided that they wanted to stay where they were. That's possible, yeah. Mm. But there uh, was, surely there was always money at stake. Yeah. Uh, not in the park, man. You know? Jumpers for goalposts. Exactly. And, and uh, one of the questions we get quite a lot, Nikos, is how do you do a job like the job that you do? Now, I'm not going to pretend that I fully understand what your job is, but can you tell me how you got to it where right, you are okay. now? Um, I used to be a, uh, a writer, a tactics writer right. on a Dutch website. Um, and I did some some media work for uh, uh, for Dutch media companies. Um, help help them with the integrate integration of data a little bit and like like right. the stuff we talked about earlier, like the you best percentages. Self taught for these things, like when you were a tactics writer, were you just self taught? Yeah, okay. yeah, basically. Um, so I did that. Um, did, did some some media stuff. Helped the analysts or the, the pundits uh, with the analysis of. Uh, um, like Italian games, uh, English games, and they would then repeat what I said live on television for way more money than I made. Nice. Um, which yep. is fine. Mm-hmm. That's fine. No no hard feelings there. Um, yeah, so and, and I, uh, I came into contact with more people on, on Twitter, uh, and one of those people was uh, Ted Knudsen, right. um, who was hired by Brentford and by FC Midtjylland. Um, and at some point, uh, he needed... M- he needed more people and we had been talking and he felt that I um, had a good eye for scouting for instance Um, and then he asked me if I want to come on board so then I moved to London wow Twitter it's good for something okay so you basically through Twitter and a lot of self-learning yeah crikey yeah so like one of the the things that that's like pretty funny to me if I look back on it like I used to be in like a a Facebook group uh, with like uh, people who, do, who did tactical analysis of games. So Rene Maric, who's now the assistant head coach of uh, 
uh, the assistant coach of Borussia Mönchengladbach was in that as well. So we would watch <laughs> South American games uh, deep into the night and comment on them. But this has also happened with journalism to a degree. I mean, in that there are people who, you know, Twitter has kind of fostered this move from people who were doing blogs and have either then gone on into the professional game by means of either getting coaching badges or mm-hmm. what have you or or gone into the media. And it, I mean, I, I've been sort of aware of analytics stuff since maybe 2012, 2013, which I think is when I started doing things on on Twitter. But it seems like a lot of the people, particularly in analytics, a lot of the people who are now making or trying to make a living out of it started at that point mm. and started putting stuff out there, developing yeah. their own stuff for their own interests. And then it became a thing. Mm-hmm. I guess, you know what, it's a bit like, I'm trying to think of other examples of things happening like that. Uh, and I can't remember the names of any of the performers now, which is very unhelpful for this uh, analogy. But there was a um, a submission uh, sh- a video clip show on TV here in the 80s that a bunch of people who are now successful comedians or sketch writers or actors, performers mm. submitted. I think Adam Buxton and Joe Cornish did some of this as well. It might even have been on Channel 4. And uh, it was nothing at the time. And it was just a bunch of uh, a bunch of people who just finished university and had either ordinary jobs, worked in pubs, or weren't doing anything, filmed little funny sketches themselves on like, VCR recorders and then sent them in to a TV show that didn't have any money and was just being put on by, let's say it was Channel 4, because it was cheap and it was user-generated content before Mm -hmm. user-generated content. And you get those little, those kind of uh, nucleuses that suddenly blossom into into something else as a result of something as silly as that or as silly as Twitter. It's it's Mm. an interesting phenomenon. Yeah, I mean, uh, that uh, gets this question a lot. Uh, Like, okay, how do I get hired by a club or by... A company like yours mm. the the obvious answer is you know write write articles because um, Statsbomb has a has a really good blog as well doesn't it yeah mm. yeah uh, and I'm not we're not even talking uh, about writing for us necessarily uh, but write for your own uh, website so that when jobs pop up that you might be interested in you have something to show them you have a portfolio mm-hmm. uh, because again like that is the most obvious way that you can demonstrate your value and the quality of your work by having done it. And Statsbomb, as an example, would hire people who have no previous professional experience but have a blog which shows very good understanding of um, analytics and tactics. Yep. It's funny, isn't it? You you're, we're actually, yeah, we're, entry, we're actually hiring it. right now. We're hiring a variety of roles. Hmm. Um, what other roles? Our <sighs> listeners may be interested. And I'd love you to be inundated with the uh, awful applications that we will, never, will never be accepted. Uh, no, the, there are a lot of them, like database engineers. That's more like the, the oh, you're okay. gonna have a you're gonna need a little bit more exp- uh, experience for that one. Right. But there's also like a like a junior data analyst role. Right. And that would be perfect for people like Alex. That. You could take that, couldn't you? I'm all right, thanks. You could finally be happy. <laughs> that seems unlikely. <laughs> what being happy or getting the job? Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, that's nice, isn't you it? You got any more questions for Nikos? Um, I was going to just ask briefly about set pieces because that's your oh, yeah. your specific area of interest. You were sold it? to me as a set piece expert, and I didn't ask you any questions about it. Yeah, that's right. Do you want to talk about set pieces briefly? How does one yeah. become a set piece expert? They uh, just say they are on Twitter. Correct. Yes. That is that's always been my method. Now, um, I um, that was part of my job, part of my remit, uh, uh, Brentford NFC Michelin. Um, like do actual research on uh, on that aspect of the game. I had the good fortune of being able to work with uh, Jenny Vio, who literally wrote the book uh, right. on that subject. So he was my my teacher basically. Um, and then we did uh, more research based on that. Like that, like what what I said earlier, that um, you got to make the gap up somehow if you are at a financial disadvantage. And one of the ways that you could do that is take on a, a relatively marginalized. Um, or undervalued aspect of the game, set pieces, uh-huh. um, and uh, and try to improve in that aspect. Uh, again, uh, showing the intelligence of Liverpool, something that they have done as well. Right. Yeah, uh, then, like, but, like uh, Thomas Kilnamak was the throw-in coach, the much maligned throw-in coach uh, before it turned out to be a success. Mm. Uh, used to work with uh, with FC Michelin and right. Brentford as well. Yeah. 
Yeah, so, I spoke to him once. I tried to get him to come on the podcast, but he said he's never in London. Mm. So I said, go away then. He's in Liverpool. Yeah. yeah. Maybe we should go Teaching to Liverpool. Teaching throw-ins. Yep. He's interesting. But, so what are you measuring when, when you're... Because I, I can understand the value of putting more effort into coaching set pieces. Mm-hmm. But from an analytics point of view, other than looking at, you know, chances generated from certain types of corners, for example, you know, is, is there stuff that's more complex than that? Or is it just focusing through coaching more on an area that most people don't bother coaching? Uh, no, we, we like, it, so one of the things that we, we did is um, like, through data analysis, um, find teams that are demonstrably good at corners or free kicks or whatever, um, and then do video analysis on what makes them good. Uh, right. And then derive general principles from that, and those can be coached and implemented uh, on a club-wide so scale. So it's not dissimilar to to scouting in a way. No. So you're using data to identify something that you then confirm or interrogate through more traditional methods. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're just trying to get more information. <laughs> yeah, uh, and then me. so that that's one of the things that we did. Um, and like the the trick is to, like I said, is to structure the thinking and to generate actual principles rather than just looking at examples and going that looks nice right um and it's the sort of thing i would do is that what the looks nice thing that looks nice yeah that's pretty Mm. yeah Yeah, so that's uh that's one of the things that we do and that we've given a a set piece course around the world um as well because yeah that's one of the things that um i'm supposedly an expert on (laughs) Hey, well, Nikos, thanks so much for coming. I'm sorry, I'm crying because I sneezed and I have some. Okay, kind of I thought ticklish. you were emotional. Yes, that's also true because uh, the podcast is now over. But uh, thanks so much for coming in. I really appreciate your time. Um, by the sounds of it, you can just sort of be really good at tactics writing and analytics on Twitter and then on a blog, and then you might get a job if you're really good. That's, yeah. that's about right, isn't it? it? It is worth pointing out as well. Nikos alluded to it briefly, but the the Stats Bomb blog does have superb writers on it and is really yeah. really interesting and is worth if you want to get a sense of the kind of writing that you need to practice and and yeah. the easiest way to do that is to read stuff that's good first and then try and replicate it and it's penetratable yeah it is yeah i mean part of the point is the and the use of visualization to communicate ideas as well yeah so that's definitely worth checking out hey well thanks man Thank you very much. Uh, have a nice time at your conference over the Thank next you. couple of days. Uh, yeah, we should mention that explicitly. Oh, yeah, There do. is a conference Actually, on Friday. Do you know what, though? This is going this to go is out going way out. afterwards. Uh, so. never mind then. But there yeah. has been a There has been an amazing conference. It was a huge success. <laughs> it really was. And it was a real surprise when the, the Queen helicoptered <laughs> over the top and furled out a banner saying, a fantastic job, Stats Bomb. Nikos particularly. Excellent work on the TFO Football Podcast. Yours, the Ele- Queen. Elizabeth. Elizabeth, yeah. Uh, thanks, man. And uh, hopefully we'll have you back again in the future and maybe you can answer some of those more sensitive... <laughs> when he leaves the job. Yeah. You know, then we can maybe we get, get all the inside in. info. Yeah. yeah. All right, cool. Well, we'll be back next week with uh, something else. Thank you. Goodbye. PNC Virtual Wallet for Digital Banking. It's time for a change. Now through March 31st, earn up to $300 when you open and use a select new virtual wallet product. Simply establish a qualifying direct deposit. To learn more, visit a branch or pnc.com slash checking offer. PNC Bank. Make today the day. Virtual Wallet is a registered trademark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association member FDIC.